0: Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 6. I appreciate our MIME team so much for helping us to kind of zero in on the topics of the day. We're talking about prayer today. As a matter of fact, I'll just point you uh, over the course of the summer, for the next 15 weeks, we're going to be dealing with prayer with two exceptions. One is Mother's Day and the other is Father's Day. We figure parents have all they need to know about prayer because of their kids. So we'll do something else on those days. Other than those two days, for the next 15 weeks, we're going to be dealing with prayer as Jesus lays it out for us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. As we do that, you'll hear me say a number of different things a number of different times. Here's a fundamental truth I hope you get. I believe that in the 21st century church, And in the lives of 21st century Christians, prayer is perhaps the most misunderstood and misguided point of the Christian life. Now, if nothing else, you ought to want to come for 13 weeks to hear me justify that statement. A couple of years, well, it's been actually a long time ago now, it was the late 1980s, When Teresa and the family and I moved down to Edinburgh, Texas in the Rio Grande Valley, we met a guy who would become a friend of ours. His name is Bob. I'll just leave it at that. And he was a minister of music at the church that we served there. And Bob was uh, an interesting guy on a lot of different fronts. Uh, No matter what city I ever went to with him, he could tell me the best places to eat. And uh, you can see that I learned well from Bob. Bob. And uh, one of the things that used to happen down there back in those days is people along that hundred-mile stretch of the corridor known as the Rio Grande Valley, along the uh, Rio Grande River, there, uh, it was nothing for people live there to go back and forth into Mexico, whether it's to go shopping or to go. Many of the people went over there to eat, and so Bob began to teach us early when we got there that it was okay to go across the border and do different things. Well, one day uh, while he was over there. He purchased something that he had always wanted. It was a Rolex watch. Now, in case you don 't know what a Rolex watch is it 's just like a Timex. Well I see timex doesn 't communicate anymore, does it? Uh, it was a souped up watch, all right, and it was one of those of the highest levels of prestige. I think it was called a presidential or something like that, but memory fails me at that point. But he was so proud that along the street there, he purchased one of these watches that in America would cost in the probably hundreds, thousands of dollars probably. Uh, but he got his for a nice tidy sum of $20. That's what we call a steal. Actually, I thought at the time, either it's hot now, for those of you who are church people, that means stolen, okay? Either it was hot or it was fake. And time, as it turns out, would tell because a couple of weeks after he bought it, the first couple of weeks he had it, he's coming home and he was showing up, oh, do you need to know what time it is? And he'd hold his watch up like this and look at it and, you know, wanted everybody to see what the what story was there. Uh, he's proud of it. And a couple of weeks into the process, he showed up at work one day and he was not wearing his watch. And so, never the one to miss an opportunity with him, I said, hey man, where's your watch? Oh man, you're not going to believe it. And he pulled his arm up like this and it was black where that watch used to be. But not only was it black, on the bottom side it was broken out like in some kind of a serious skin condition. Now I didn't realize that the gold in a Rolex watch band would do that to you. Okay, bottom line is he bought himself a counterfeit. It is my conviction that many, many, perhaps even most Christian people in our day have bought into a counterfeit prayer life. I don't make these charges lightly. And I hope that you'll stay with me long enough. Don't get offended by what I'm saying. Let's just stop and let's try it on a little bit. And let's see if there's not some truth to what I'm asserting here. Actually, if you really get right down to it, I don't think this is just my opinion about this stuff. I think that Jesus in this passage and several others teaches us something about prayer that is rarely seen in the Christian church of this day and age. So let's look at it together. What I want you to get as we go into this from the very outset is at the deepest level, this privilege that we have called prayer is about communion with God. And Jesus gives us, now I, I told Spencer the, the uh, alternate, I put it in our, in our planning center stuff, the alternate title here that does prayer work is two wrongs and a Right? Uh we're going to be dealing, this Does Prayer Work is really the title of the entire series that we're going to be going through here. But today especially, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, where we find that Jesus gives us two wrongs and a right as it relates to prayer. So let's read that, and you can follow along as I read verse 5. Well, actually, now we're going to start reading on the screen at verse 5, but I want to throw verse 1 in here at the very beginning, okay? Because it's the umbrella under which this prayer discussion begins to happen. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And what Jesus does is he gives this statement, and then he gives three different examples for us. We've looked at two of them already. Giving, that is almsgiving, as they would have called it, and fasting. But now we come to prayer. And so verse 8, this is what Jesus says. empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him and then he goes on and gives what is called the model prayer now you need to get used to hearing me call it that Because most people call it the Lord's Prayer, and I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. If you want to know what the Lord prayed, go to John chapter 17 and just kind of camp out there for six or seven years and see what Jesus had. In this case, we're going to find as we move into those next few verses, Jesus says pray in this way. It's a model, and in that model we find basic principles of prayer that should drive us, and we'll be looking at those as we go forward. But before we even get to that, we need to come back to what Jesus is saying here in these few verses, verses 5 through 8. Two wrongs. I'll give both of those, and then I'll give the right. But as I do that, I want you to get the, the uh, structure of the Sermon on the Mount right. The, one of the reasons I said this is one of the fundamental parts, one of the greatest privileges that we have as Christian people, in all of this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 all the way through the end of chapter 7 it talks about a level of living in the Christian life that takes those people and us far beyond ourselves. We saw that in the Beatitudes. We saw that in each of those six different statements that he's made. You've heard it said before, but I say to you this. If nothing else, we come to the end of those, and it ought to take us to the point where we go, wow, I can't can't do that. Which is the first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, the bankrupt ones. Right in the middle of the entire Sermon on the Mount is this teaching on prayer. I don't believe that's an accident. I don't believe that a bunch of guys got together later and said, how can we structure this so that it says what we want? I believe that Jesus intentionally taught this part of it right at the center because everything else about the Christian life rotates around this central point. It is communion with God but you see that definition of prayer it's really not a definition just a statement for now that's so far beyond where many Christian people camp out when it comes to prayer so let's look at some of what Jesus warns against the two wrongs the first one is this we are wrong when we pray to impress people did you see that here Look at again at verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Okay, let's stop for a second. I'm always taken with the way people outside of the church want to view and talk about the people inside the church. You ever have a conversation, hey, why don't you come to church with us? Nah, too many hypocrites up there. You know, for me, I've said this in here before, so it's not new information, but for me, I don't quite understand that because they don't mind going to the movie theater with hypocrites and they don't mind going to the grocery store with hypocrites or to a restaurant with hypocrites, but they don't want to go to church. That tells me that there's more to it than just what they want to let on. And the other side of it is they're not all wrong. You know, that we are full of hypocrites when we come in here. And as one guy told me after the first service, just say to them, Hey, one more hypocrite won't bother us. Come on and join us. Okay, don't use that. Don't say that. If you're listening by internet, I'm only playing, okay? No accident that Jesus uses a term here that draws right to the heart of the issue. He uses a term taken out of the theater of that first century world. And these actors who played different roles, they didn't have quite the elaborate stuff that we have today. And so in the theater, the actors would have these little masks that they would put on and for their character. And then they would speak behind the mask. And that's the word hypocrite. And as Jesus uses it here, he's saying when it comes to your prayer life, don't be like those people who play a role in theirs. Well, he gives us a little bit of uh, detail to flesh that out. And the the tendency that we're going to have is to take these as geographical points of reference or location-centered prayer. And that's really not his point. But what he says literally is, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. I'll stop there first. You see, Jewish life in the first century uh, had three specified times of prayer every day. It's much like we see in the Muslim population of this day and those people who stop and they face Mecca and they do their prayer time in the Islamic faith. Well, in Jewish faith in the first century, at 9 o'clock in the morning, noon, and 3 o'clock in the afternoon, when it got to be prayer time, those three times, they would stop, they would turn in whatever direction the temple would be for them, and they would cite the Shema, deuteronomy 6 the hero israel the lord your god is one god etc And we've talked about that in here and so that was part of their prayer life and they would do those in the synagogues synagogues were places of instruction places of worship places of prayer that was a part of what they did so jesus is not saying don't go to the synagogue and pray he's getting to something else and so it takes us to the next one which is on the street corners Now here's the deal, when those times for prayer would come, even if you were in a public kind of a place, let's say you're at school and 12 o'clock comes and it's time to pray according to that faith, then you would stop as a student and you would turn and your teacher would probably do the same thing and you'd turn and you'd face whatever direction the temple was and you'd recite that as a prayer. Or if you're at the mall, or if you're at work, or wherever it happened to be. Well, in their case, if they were in the public arena, they would stop and make a public thing of their prayer. See, the kicker is that many of the advanced ones would make sure that they were in a public place when prayer time came. That way they could make a big, showy thing. Hands raised talking out loud, just, you know, boisterous kind of a thing. And Jesus takes that picture out of Jewish religious life and he calls them hypocrites. And the reason he does is not because they're praying at the wrong place, it's because they're uh, praying with the wrong motive at work. Before we move on, Let's stop for a second and try this on as a wrong way to do it to see if it fits us in any way. Remember, it's the prayer that aims to impress people that we're talking about here. How do we fall into that trap? I'll give you a negative example. You know by now that I'm far from being the model citizen as it relates to Christian life. I'm just like you. I'm in process. Okay? We're trying, or at least I know I'm trying and most of you are trying. Some of you may be trying to figure out well, I don't know whether I want this or not. I get that. I'm, I'm okay. I even give you space to ask that question if it's an honest question. When I moved to New Mexico to serve that little church out there in the badlands of New Mexico, Actually, that's a redundant statement. New Mexico is the badlands, okay? There's one little small strip of beautiful country, and everything else around that is something you have to get through to get to the pretty part. So when we moved out into the badlands out there in southeastern New Mexico, went to this church, and almost the first day, I don't believe it was the first day, but the first week or so, the pastor pulled me aside and he said, Now listen, I want you to know, we have a prayer ministry at this church, uh, that already made my ears jump up. Uh, because I happened to believe then, as I believe now, some of the... Okay, now this is one of those statements that's are going to make you go, uh, this guy's just causing trouble. I believe that some of the most accepted heresy that happens in the church of our day is tied to prayer. And in this case... He says, we have a prayer ministry at our church. Made my defensive mechanisms kick in the high gear. And he said, and our prayer ministry has a prayer room. And we encourage people in our church to man the prayer room. In other words, physically be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I said, okay. Now, see, I know you're looking at me going, this guy's not very sharp. I can tell by looking at him, he's slow. Okay, I know you're thinking that. But I'm not so slow that I didn't know he was going somewhere with this statement he was giving me. And he says to me, that's what we do. And I said, okay, uh, and what does that mean to me? And he said, one way or another, we expect our staff to take an hour a week in there. Okay, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Uh, But I wasn't, you know, just flipping over the whole thing. I went in there the first time. Now, the reason I went in there the first time is because I was told I needed to. Well, I'm not in so many words, but I could tell, you know, that's what I was supposed to do. So I went in there, and I started reading through the list of prayer requests that I was supposed to pray about. And I got to tell you, I got bad attitude right now. Remember that statement I made about heresy? Some of the stuff that I was supposed to pray for, under God, I couldn't believe that God would endorse that stuff. And so it became a thing for me every week when my assigned prayer time came up that I would go in there, but I would go in with a bad attitude before I ever started. Most of the time, I've been gone for a while, so they can't do anything to me now. I don't think there's a statute of limitations on this. So uh, most of the time, I didn't even open the prayer request book. Why did I go in there in the first place? Beware, well, that's not really the way he says it. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who loved, and I'm going to put it in my words, who love. To jump through the hoops by their bosses, even though their hearts are not in it. I went in there because I was expected to go in there. I don't mind taking a shot for the team if it will help you put yourself in the situation. How do we fall into this trap? Maybe this is a good time for me to stop and ask that basic question that we don't usually ask why do we pray? And one of the things that we talk about a lot in our churchianity is the need for people to be praying. I've noticed that we don't do a whole lot of what I consider to be good biblical training in that. We just kind of throw it out there to people. But why do we pray? And a better question is, why do you pray? However often that is, whatever the circumstances are, let's just stop and try this on about impressing people, and I'll get to another one in just a second. But just, if you really want to know why you do it, what motivates you and do it, why don't you stop for a minute and evaluate what you pray for? Is it possible that this place that I started this whole thing, where I think Jesus is trying to take us with this whole thing, is that prayer is the most intimate Part of the Christian life, it's where communion with God occurs. How much of what we do is aim for that? I'll come back to that in just a second, but let's, let's try this on a little more deeply, I think. Let, let's look at your public prayer life. I think I've said in here before that prayer is such, I'm a novice, okay? I don't mind telling you, I'm not up here talking like one who's arrived when it comes to prayer. I've known some people who I thought were pretty close to having arrived, but I'm certainly not one of them. But I am in process. I'm trying to sort through some things and try to understand some things that I know about prayer that I don't quite grasp yet. But, um, when it comes, what I've said is, it's hard for me to do public praying because for me, my private prayer life is so intimate. That that sounds awfully puffy, and I don't mean for it to sound that way. It's so personal when I go to God in prayer that translating that into a prayer before a crowd of people is hard for me to do. As a family, Teresa and I raising our children, raised them to Every time we would sit down for a meal together, now, it's like your family probably, when they were really young, we sat down for meals together very often, but the older they got, we didn't sit down together very often. But when we were together, and this occurs even now, it happened on Friday, or Thursday night, on our way over to Austin we, stopped, Austin, we stopped in Conroe, and most of our kids were there, and we sat down, had a meal together, and we prayed before we ate. Why do we do that? You know why we started doing that? Because both of our parents made us do that when we were kids. Why do my kids do it if they do? I don't know. But it could very well be that those things we do, we're just going through the motions about it rather than hitting at the heart of what prayer is. See, you don't have to be way off the reservation to be practicing heresy. You can just do sometimes the right thing with no reason at all. public prayers is part of it we used to say to our son look we're praying before a meal don't get caught up on your prayer life here okay if you hadn't prayed in six weeks then just say thanks for the food God don't get caught up on six weeks worth of praying you know what I mean by that I've heard other you know I don't want to say too much of this because I don't want people to go well now I'm all self-conscious about praying in public okay Making announcements in prayer? You heard that? How is it that we come to prayer? How do we present ourselves with people? Don't do it to impress people. How about that, that prayer that the person's voice changes? You know, they're talking to you like this and you say, Hey, what's up? Hey, man, it's been a good day. Well, will not you lead us in prayer? Dear God. I just want to thank you, God. Really? If you talk to me like that in public, I'm going to think you've been drinking or something. But what is it about that that we feel like we need to flip a switch and get all holy sounding, whatever that is? Be careful that the prayers that we do are not aimed at pleasing people, impressing people. You know where this came home from? I I tell you, this guy taught me more stuff. In a handful of people that have impacted my life deeply, this guy ranks right up in like one or two right close to the center. He came started, I've told you about him in another context, but he came to my office consistently for a while. was going through some bad stuff in his life. And over a period of the years, he came by my office and we would sit down and we would talk. And first couple of times he came, he said, man, I'm going through some struggles. I need to pray with you. I need you to pray for me. I said, I'm happy to pray for you, man. Let's do that. So we sat down and, uh, and I started praying for him. And I did my normal preacher prayer. You know preacher prayers. And then it was his turn to pray. His name's Al. And he got, he got up and started walking around. Now, I'm thinking, sit down, man. What is the matter with you? We're praying here. And he starts praying. And honestly, I thought he was talking to me. He's, you know, well, you know, here we are again. And I was going, yeah. (laughs) You know, this is a bad set of circumstances. Yeah, that's why he came in. And he starts working his way through. And finally, I said something to him. I said, yeah, I know. He said, I'm not talking to you. This guy, for the first time in my life, taught me about conversational prayer with God. I mean, this was no show. And over a period of years, he would come into my office so I could pray for him, right. And it was a laboratory for me about communion with God. Do you get that impression when you're with people who pray in public, so many times as Baptists, we use prayer as that trigger to get us on the horse or to get us off. Well, Sunday so school, time to start. Who's going to pray for us? Really? Or we take prayer requests. And some classes, okay, now I'm going to get real honest with you. Some classes spend more time giving prayer requests than they give praying or that they give to Bible study. Really? Is that what the time's for? When it comes to prayer, I believe that we as a 21st century global church, of that is people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, we have reduced prayer to a rudimentary, mechanical element rather than the core of our Christianity. And I think that we find a global church, maybe I should limit that to America, that is largely dead because of it. Praying to impress people is the first wrong way. The second wrong way is, you ready for this? It's praying to impress God. In the first, I I like the language that Jesus uses here. Very intentional, no question about that. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. But then we drop down a little bit and it says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. You see what Jesus has done? He has now jumped from the Jewish people and their prayer practice to the Gentile world. That is everybody other than the Jews. Now remember, this is the first century Greco-Roman world. Rome is in power, therefore Roman influence is significant. But just before Roman power was the Greek influence. And what you get from both of those together, the Hellenization of the world and all that kind of stuff, is you get the Greek pantheon, that is their picture, their world of the gods, and I use a small g there, as should everybody, And the Roman pantheon, because they theirs was superior to the Greeks, so they had to come up with their own, even though they had gods who did the same thing, different names. So you have the Greco-Roman religious climate of the world, which is all these different gods. And then on top of that, if you go read the Old Testament, in what is called Palestine there, what is the land of Israel of the first century, you also had those influences of the fertility cults and all that stuff that you find over in the Old Testament. It was a land and a people that were saturated with false idolatry and mythology. And there were hundreds, perhaps thousands, of different gods, small g, in their perspective. Now, one of the things that they wanted as a person is they wanted the gods working for them, not against them. And in their mind, one of the ways that you get a God to be doing your bidding is if you pronounce his name correctly. That is, if you know their name, there's a certain amount of power you have over them. If you pronounce it correctly, then you get more power over them, and you can get them to work for you rather than against you. And so it was not uncommon at all... For these disciples to be out in the public square hearing people pray and they start naming off all of these gods. And it had this mechanical sound to it to the point that at this point in the text, Jesus coins a new word. He comes up with a brand new word. It's not used anywhere else in Greek as far as we can find it. Not in classical Greek literature. Not anywhere else. Jesus comes up with a brand new word. Genius, I tell you. I still do that. I like to make up my own words. Makes me feel smart. That's a joke. Y'all wake up out there. My dad used to say a sign of a true genius is he can spell any word three different ways. Y'all write that on your papers next time your teacher marks off for you. Don't. Jesus comes up with a brand new word and it just captures what, what, what they're used to hearing. For those of you who know Greek, it's Bata Lego. Bata Lego. Lego means to say or to speak. Bata, they don't know what it means. And put together, they really don't know what it means, but it seems to be this. You know Little League Baseball? Hello? Because we can go home if you're ready to go to lunch. That's fine. Little League Baseball. A guy's up to bat. And in the outfield or in the defensive part of the game, there are these kids hands on knees like this. That's because they're tired of standing there. It's boring. And they're going, hey, bada, 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 Right? That's exactly the picture of this word. It's the repetitious, mechanical bada, 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 bada. And Jesus uses that. By the way, they weren't playing baseball. I didn't say that. Jesus uses that as the word picture for them says, don't be like those people who just keep saying the same thing. King James Version here says vain repetition. And we always put the emphasis on the vain part, empty. It is that, but the real emphasis here is on the repetition part. Jesus says, don't be like those hypocrites who believe that just by saying the same thing over and over and over and over that somehow God will hear them. Do we fall into that trap? Oh, man. I hate this kind of sermon. Is prayer like that at all? Where it's just the same old stuff over and over and over and over? Part of the deal here, remember... The motivation of those Gentile people is to get the name of the God and to get it right so that they can have control over that God. There's the heresy of 21st century Christian prayer. I know some of you are going, wait a minute. Preacher, the Bible says, ask and it will be given to you. Yes, it does. But it also says some other things around every one of those passages. So be very careful before you use a proof text to encourage your heresy. One guy said it this way, and I think he's right on target. For many people who are Christians in this day and age, prayer for them is taking a blank check, taking it before God and saying, God, I want you to sign this. And I'll fill in the details later. You ever done that with God? Now God, you know I need this. I need this boat. So just, if you'll give it to me, I promise you I'll worship you out on the water. For many people, a blank check before God says, God, please sign it. But prayer in reality, you ready for this? Prayer in reality is signing a blank check and handing it to God and saying, You fill in the details and I'll be fine with it. Oh, hello. Could have talked all week without saying that. Let me tell you something what I just said will take you in your spiritual life places you never dreamed were even there. To say to God, in this time of prayer, it is not about me trying to get you to bend to my will. It is me bending to yours. Is that how you pray? Back to the question, why do you pray? And if you want to know why you pray, evaluate how you pray. Let me give you an exercise to do. Sit down when it's just you so you can remember and really be plugged in and pray your normal prayer. Now, I want to say something about that before I finish. When I say your normal prayer, what I mean by that is, don't you have certain things that you say like in every prayer? It's that pattern of stuff. It's that thing that you heard somebody else pray and you thought, hey, I like the way that sounds. I think I'm going to use that for myself. I, I did that. I tell you, you hear me pray for somebody in a sick kind of condition, whether it's a hospital or whatever, one of the things you will hear me pray, because I heard my dad pray it, and at the moment I thought, that's profound as it relates to how to pray. God, do your best for that person. That's a great prayer. It's dangerous, unless you know God. But that's a whole other sermon. We'll get to that. So pray your normal prayer and then come back to it immediately and write it out. And look at how often you say the same thing in your prayer. I'm not saying that's this empty words part that Jesus is talking about, but I am saying it's a place that you might start looking for those things. Well, with that in mind, by the way... If you're hearing all of this, going wait a minute. And when I, I pray God, I need something. I, I need groceries. I don't have anything to eat. Look at verse eight. This is gut check time. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need as soon as you tell him. Is that how it says it. Oh, come on, that's how we pray, isn't it? How many t- don't no raised hands or anything? How many times do we go to God in prayer believing that we're giving God information he did not have? <laughs> See how heretical our prayer is? Treating God as if he's not even alive? Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So why pray? Ha ha. That's a good question. And I am smack dab out of time. So why pray? You want another exercise? Evaluate your prayer life this week. How much, what percentage of your prayer life is consumed with requests of God? How much of your time with God is spent asking for stuff? Now, if I get this verse right, it didn't say we shouldn't ask. I'm totally with you there. There are places that says you should ask, and I'm with that. But I think we miss something when we buy into modern Christianity that just leaves it there. I'm gonna to get to the, the right part here. And then I want to pull it all together with a statement relative to what I just said. So let me come back here. Jesus doesn't leave us with the don't. He also gives us the do part. Look at verse 6 with me one more time. And there it says. I'm looking for it. There it is. But when you pray, go into your room. That's a great word. English lets us down so often. This word for room is a reference to a treasure room. Think of a bank vault, if you will. It's a place where valuables are kept. Now, I tell you, just like I don't believe the previous stuff that Jesus said on the wrongs, I don't think he means this to be a location thing. If you need a private location room, that's fine, but that's not what he's referring to here. What he's referring to here is that place of treasure for you. Carl Vault, who was a professor at Baylor University for many years, wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount, said this about this particular verse. He remembered as a child, as he was growing up, and he watched his grandfather one morning. He passed by his, uh, his room, and he heard his grandfather in there talking. And, and so he stopped for a moment, he looked in, and he saw his grandfather as his face in the window. He thought he was just looking out on the morning, wrapped up in a blanket, but as they st- stood there and listened to him pray he realized or listened to him he realized that he was praying and so he thought to himself that must be grandpa's prayer room later in life he said as he talked to his grandfather and all the lessons that his grandfather had to teach him about God and the things of God he said he realized that it wasn't the room that made the difference for his granddad it was the prayer that made the difference for his granddad It was a room full of treasure for him, not because it was a great place, but because of the connection that was made there. Jesus is addressing motive once again. Don't be like those who have the empty stuff. Come to the treasure room, back to verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and he who is in secret, who sees in secret, will reward you. What is the reward of that? It's the presence. It's the communion with the Father. How often we cheapen prayer by blowing in, dropping our requests, and blowing out to do life. This week, Teresa and I were making our way over to Austin We stopped in Conroe, meet our kids, our oldest son and his wife, who is expecting our first grandchild. And my daughter drove down from Huntsville down there. That's because she's always in for a free meal. And we sat around the table Thursday evening in in Conroe, and we were eating. And we prayed before we ate. But also, in that time we talked. Now, let me interrupt that story with this. You ever been around people who just talk all the time? You know what I'm talking about? It's like your ears bleed when they start. It's like, oh, my God, man, please stop. You been around people like that? Come on, everybody. Some of you are going, wait a minute, is that me he's talking about? That's okay. It's good to ask that question, actually. You ever think that maybe God gives us that response? How is your prayer life, really? Is it possible? I mean, if God was more like us, praise God, he's not. Is it possible that God... When you finish praying, God goes, Oh, I didn't think they would ever stop. (laughs) I don't want to be sacrilegious with that. Sometimes it's like we feel like if we get more words in a minute, then he'll hear us better. We just go on and on and on. So back to my dinner meeting with my kids. Brandon, my oldest son... And Lauren are both going to be part of the d leadership for this coming weekend for our teenagers. And so as we were sitting there, I needed to talk with them about some d stuff, particularly the teaching stuff. I took them, the teaching guides, and trying to give them some. And so if, if it had been a typical prayer-like session, one or both of them would have spent all their time talking to me, telling me about everything that they needed and no time listening to the things that I needed to say to them so they could be prepared for the showtime when it's just them with a bunch of teenagers. But see, that gets to prayer. If all we do is just go on and on and on with God, and we never stop to listen, let me just even take it a step further. I just love spending time with my kids we can sit in the same room and them not say a word and i love it (laughs) i mean that in the best sense (laughs) there are other times you know lauren boy she could talk when she was in high school i was like oh man don't you have some place to go but when she moved away and she wasn't there to talk anymore there was an empty place for me you know why because i love her now don't tell her I said that, okay? That's between me and her. Don't you think God feels that way with us? The most intimate part of the entire Christian life. And we cheapen it by filling it with words. And Jesus says, And your Father, who sees in secret will reward you. Richard Foster wrote a book entitled Prayer. He gives 21 different kinds of prayer. Now, I don't agree with all of them, but maybe I should listen to him more than give him my opinion because he's a little more progressed on this than I am. But I don't agree with all of them. But let's say even if he gets half of those right, let's say there's just 11. Even if there are only four different kinds of prayer, one of the things that he emphasizes for us, and I think it's worth hearing here on the front side of these 13 weeks of prayer we're going to be looking at, is one of the things we have to realize is that this is one of those parts of the Christian life. It's not like going to a Luby's restaurant where you start down with the tray and you pick and choose the stuff of the Christian life that you want. You know, I hate beets, okay? Don't bring me any canned beets, okay? I promise you're, gonna be, you're wasting a jar. And I'm not going to go buy canned or beets at Luby's. It ain't happening, okay? I'll starve to death before I eat beets. All right. So when I go to Luby's, if I happen to go there, when I get to the beats section, I'm beating it. Okay, I'm moving right on past. And I'm going to pick and I'm going to choose things that I want. So many Christian people are, are like that about the Christian life. Well, I'll do a little Bible study over here today. and I'll, Okay, I'll do a little bit of prayer over there because after all, I do need that new boat. And, <laughs> I'm hitting on boats pretty bad. Maybe God wants me to have one. That must be what he's saying. Teresa, take notes. Isn't that how we do, God? We pick and choose. Okay, well, I'll go to church. It's, you know. Let me tell you something. What Richard, Richard Foster says this morning is right on target. Whether it's 21 different kinds of prayer or various elements of the Christian life, it is not a cafeteria plan. It is an orchestra. Every piece has a place. Jesus Christ, the conductor of the orchestra of your life, and the connection between the instrument player and the conductor is prayer how you filling your time with god here's some homework for you this week take one day and don't ask god for anything you're saying don't pray No, go back and listen to the sermon. One day, and don't ask God for a single thing. See if there's not plenty of stuff there to get lost in his wonder. One day. Now, I suggest you start tomorrow because about breakfast time, when you have blown it for the day, you can do it again on Tuesday. So much of our prayer lives are asking God for stuff. Take just one day and don't ask Him for a thing and see what He has for you on that day. But take the whole week and ask Him this one thing or this is the prayer. Father, I want to commune with you this week. Whatever it takes. <laughs> That's a rough prayer right there, whatever it takes. Because sometimes whatever it takes, you're not willing to pay. And neither am I. But your Father who sees in secret will, what does it say? Reward you. I'll tell you something I'll just tell you up front. He is the reward. Let's pray. So, Lord, here we are one more time. At the end of ourselves. Uh, We need you so bad. Most of the time we don't even realize that. And our lives show that. Please forgive us for cheapening the relationship that cost you your son's life. We're so needy. And that makes us so ashamed. And so we reach out for your grace. Father, we ask that you just have your way with us. As scary as that is, it is right that we pray that be gracious and merciful please but take us to that level that you need us to be so that we might be of maximum effectiveness in your work